0: To be made in the image of God first means that we have communion with God, but it also means that we live in community with one another. Join Dr. Brown as he shares how the sixth word protects the image of God. This is Hearing is Believing. This message contains sensitive subject matter pertaining to suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or self-harm, there are resources available online to speak directly with a trained professional or to find local community outreach services. If you're in the U.S., you can visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org or call them at 1 800 273 8255. I hope you have your Bible here this morning. If you would, take it and please join me in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 will today be looking at just one verse, and this one verse will have the sixth word, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. But think about that. On the sixth day, on the sixth day, God created the crown of His creation. The crown of His creation is man and woman. The crown of His creation is you, and it's me, and it's them. So we're coming today to the sixth word. We come to consider God's special creation, God's special creation, humanity. Hear the word of the Lord, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. You shall not murder. Now, most of us, when we hear that word, we probably sigh a sigh of relief. We look at that list before, the ten, uh, list before us of the Ten Commandments, and we think, well, I've been really not so good so far, but now I'm pretty confident. Out of all of the Ten Commandments, I'm pretty sure that I've never violated that one. After all, I've never murdered anyone. But as we're going to see, as we're going to see, of course, we have to look a little more in-depth than that. The Bible's gonna be pretty clear that all of us, all of us are guilty of murdering someone in our heart. So we have to look a little closer to understand this word from God. And so do that right now. Look at this list of commandments. Look at this. The first four all deal with our relationship with God. Look at them. No other gods before me, no carved images. Uh, The third word, not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then look what happens. Then the list shifts from the negative to the positive. We're told what not to do by telling us what to do. The fourth word, look at it in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then look at what happens next in verse 12, the fifth word. That fifth word is sort of a, a pivot point or a hinge point of the entire list of commandments. And so the first four deal with our relationship with God. And then we move from dealing with relating to God to relating to one another. And heaven touches earth in the fifth commandment. Look at it in verse 12. Honor your father and mother. And so imagine, if you will, in your mind, two tablets. Maybe you've got in your mind an image of Moses, a bearded man in a robe. That's okay. Holding the two tablets in his hand. The head of the first tablet reads this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then look at verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And so this sort of sets the tone of the focus of the first tablet. And the focus of the first tablet is our relationship with God. And on that tablet, there are four words. And then imagine this other tablet. The first word on the top of the next tablet is the sixth word, you shall not murder. And then look in the Bible here, they come pretty quick at us. Look at verse 13, you shall not murder. And then words 7 through 10 come next, and look how quickly these come. No adultery, no stealing, no bearing false witness. No coveting. So two tablets. The first tablet giving us details concerning our relationship with God. The second tablet showing us how we relate with one another. There is a vertical or an upward tablet. And then there's a horizontal or an outward tablet of stone. But then notice this. The home, the fifth word is the hinge that holds the two tablets together. But look again at that second tablet. Look again at the sixth word. And remember that that second tablet's heading is do not murder. And then everything that follows on that tablet, everything that follows are sins against humanity. Or we could say this, everything on that side of the tablet, what we're going to consider next is an assault on humanity. Humanity. Each of these crimes, or each of these commandments on this side of the tablet are crimes against humanity. And so if you and I, if we're going to understand, if we're going to understand the second tablet, we have to understand our own humanity. And that's the question that we have before us this morning. If we're going to understand this second part of the Ten Commandments, we have to understand our own humanity. In other words, we have to ask and answer this question, what does it mean to be human? Now, before we get in too far into that, I I don't want you to just sort of take my word for the way that we're dividing these commandments. Is, Is it really right for us to understand the Ten Commandments in this way, the four words six words, and then you've got sort of a, a hinge point in between. Is that the right way to, to understand the Ten Commandments? Well, I want to submit this for your reasoning. Luke chapter 10. It seems that Jesus understood that the Ten Commandments are broken down into these, uh, the, in these terms. Luke chapter 10. Listen to the Bible. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, what do we know about a lawyer? Now, be careful. There's a lot of things that we could say about what we know about a lawyer. But a lawyer just simply means someone who knows something about the law. So this lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test. And listen to what he says. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then listen to what Jesus said to him. What's written in the law? You're a lawyer. You tell me what's written in the law. And then listen to what Jesus said. How do you read it? Now that's an important question. How do you, a lawyer, read the law? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's his answer. And then listen to what Jesus said, you got it right. You have answered correctly. And then Jesus says this, do this and you will live. So let's, let's look at that lawyer's answer. We first see a recognition of God above. God is our creator. And then we respond according to his reality. Which, by the way, that's exactly what worship is. Worship is always a response to the reality of God. It's not that you get to uh, decide whether or not there is a God. Worship is a response to the reality of God. Now, that can be positive or that can be negative, but worship is always a response to God. So, we first see in the lawyer's answer, we first see a recognition that God is our creator. And then we respond accordingly to His reality. How do we respond accordingly to His reality? We love the Lord with all that we are. You say, how do we love the Lord with all that we are? Here's how we do it. By having no other gods before him. By making no carved images. By not taking his name in vain. By remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And then, then, the lawyer tells us that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And then notice this phrase. Love our neighbor as ourselves. So Jesus is assuming that We have a healthy view of what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God. And so then what do we do? We respond to the realm that he has created by loving our neighbor as ourselves. You say, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, by not murdering, by not stealing, by not committing adultery, by not bearing false witness. By not coveting. But then notice in that Luke 10, notice there's a question that's sort of not answered. How on earth did the lawyer know what is written in the law? And I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to suggest that the way that that lawyer knew what was written in the law was his mama and daddy taught it to him. Honor your father and mother. So you see what just happened in Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, this grand demonstration of the whole law. And did you notice what Jesus did? He affirmed the double division of the law, a a horizontal or a vertical horizon, loving God, and then a, a horizontal element of loving one another. Two major headings, love of God, and a love for one another. So, having a good grasp on the first tablet, knowing what it means to love God, we're able to then move through the hinge, through the honoring mom and dad, to the second tablet, where we're concerned with humanity, where then we have to answer the question, what does it mean to be human? And if we can't answer that question, If we can't answer that question, what does it mean to be human? You and I will not feel the weight of these words. So that's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna answer the question, what does it mean to be human? And guess where we're gonna go to find out? We're gonna go back to Genesis. So do this with me. Take your Bible and go all the way back to the very beginning. Join me in Genesis chapter one. And I want you to notice with me these details laid out for us in Genesis chapter 1, specifically at verse 27. Pay attention to this. This is important. I've got the English Standard Version, and the English Standard Version, it's got it laid out where I can see there is a, in the Hebrew, it's able to show me in my English that there is a poem. Whenever there's a poem in the Bible, the Bible is making a special emphasis, a different emphasis. And then notice, as we read this text, there's something that's repeated. And anytime the Bible says something, God's not saying it because he said it wrong the first time. He's saying it for our benefit. Listen to the way that this is repeated. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what do we learn from that? Well, on the bottom level, we learn humanity is made in the image of God, and that's important. Now, you're saying, for those of you who are raised in church or maybe heard something like this before, you're saying, you're not telling me anything that I don't know. I know I am made in the image of God, but did you know that you're not the image of God? Have you ever considered that? Humanity is made in God's image, but we are not the image. We're made in the image. And we haven't seen, according to the text, we haven't seen the image yet. And so then the question is, who is the image of God? And that's a question that the text leaves us with, and we won't know the answer until the Bible unfolds to take us all the way to Colossians chapter 1. In verse 15, when it tells us plainly, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And then listen to the language in Colossians 1.15. The firstborn of all creation. And we don't have the opportunity this morning, but we would if we could. And maybe you can write this down as a margin reference for you to go back later and look. The context of Colossians 1:15 is stunning. It tells us that Christ is the image of God, and we learn that he is the image and we see the image through a demonstration. And the demonstration where God shows us the image is through a cross. It's through his self sacrifice in the service others. Now that's completely opposite of what we see unfolding in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, and 6, and on down the line. Because Adam and Eve, you remember, back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 tells the story that they chose to listen to the serpent. They chose, instead of listening to the voice of God who created them in His image, they chose the one who put the very breath in their lungs, caused them to live, They disregarded his word and instead listened to the devil. They listened to the serpent. But here's something interesting I want to also point out to you. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says that the devil has been a murderer since the beginning. Now that's an interesting way to refer to the devil, isn't it? Jesus says that he is a murderer since the beginning. And so now we're on to something. Now we're on to something. We see this, that murder is an assault on the image of God. So Satan came after the image of God. And as a result of Satan's assault, sin bore the murderous fruit in the heart of man. And the story unfolds. Just look at the text. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 4, for example. We see this, this terrible story of a brother killing his brother, of, of Cain murdering Abel. And then the text just continues to unfold. In chapter 4, it tells us that Cain had his sons. And one of his grandsons, or we could say more specifically, one of his great-grandsons was a man-slayer. And you can read about him in another poem in Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. His name was Lamech. And that's the first thing that I want you to write down this morning as we're trying to understand this sixth word. We're trying to understand this, you shall not murder. Write this down. Murder assaults the image of God. And so let's discover then, what does it mean? Now that we know what it means to be human, it means that we're made in the image of God. Well, then What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And guess where we're gonna go back to to learn what that means? Anybody wanna guess? Genesis, I heard you whispering. It's okay, shout it out. You're probably gonna be right. If not, I'll let you know, it's okay. Genesis, Genesis, Genesis chapter one. And look again, there we see this declaration that humanity is created in the image of God. And then we move into chapter two. But then look at this. Look. And I wish that I could develop this for you, but look at the way chapter one ends, morning and evening, the sixth day, and then look at the way chapter two begins. The focus of the narrative shifts to how, or to show us, how humanity and the place for their dwelling was created. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter two, and you have to see this. Chapter, seven, and, uh, chapter 2 and verse 7. And remember, we're le- asking the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Look at Genesis 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Get that image in your mind because the Hebrew language is so specific. It's it's meant to evoke these images or provoke in your mind these images. Here we see the intimacy of creation and creator. Here we see in that text, God bending down from the heights of his habitation, forming man out of the dust with his hands. And then look at the Bible, with the intimacy of a kiss, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Oh, God loves you. To be made in the image of God first means that we have communion with God. So we live in communion, but also in community. We have this communion with God and others. Look at the Bible. Follow again, Genesis chapter 2, just walking down the narrative. Look at verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the suitable helper is his wife, Isha, or Eve. Her name will go from Isha to Eve. Some of you are like, I like Eve better than Isha. Good thing he changed it. To be created in the image of God means, listen, that we are both dependent and interdependent. Interdependent upon one another as we live together in love and peace and dependent upon God, as He satisfies us and is the source of our satisfaction. He gives you what you need and He Himself is what you need. And then look at this. I love this. Verse 23. And we're gonna get into this text next week when we look into Thou shalt not commit adultery. The man said, this is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here's what I'm trying to communicate to you about what it means to be made in the image of God. There is a sacred vulnerability about what it means to be human. There is a sacred vulnerability about what it means for you and me to be made human. Because being human means that you are dependent, you are created, and you are interdependent. That is, you need one another. And our vulnerability crashes against the, the modern notions of autonomy. This. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be your own self-made man. Be your own self-made woman. Just do it. This vulnerability crashes against autonomy or the feeling that we have to sometimes be alone or think that we can do it on our own. John Don reminds us, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea... Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. And then listen to what he says. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the Beth tolls. It tolls for thee. God said that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for humanity to be alone. But if we listen to the world, the world wants us like the serpent in the ear of the woman on that day. The world will whisper in our ear telling us that we need to feel alone. But God's word is different. His word is you are dependent upon me and you are interdependent upon others. His word, are you listening? His word is that you are vulnerable and loved. And that, my dear church, is the beauty of what we call the gospel. Because the gospel says that you are more flawed than you realize and you are more loved than you could ever imagine. The world, if it has its way with you, it will push you towards autonomy. God pulls us into himself and towards one another. You see, autonomy is at the heart of our anger. Why on earth are we angry? Well, it's pretty simple because I think that my way is the best way, and I don't care what you say about it. That's why I'm pretty angry because I think that, or we're angry because we think that our way is the best way. There's a chapter uh, in a book. There's a, it's, a, it's a pretty creative title. It's the fastest chapter that I've ever read. The title of the book was "Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger?" And the whole chapter was one word. Guess what the word was? Yes. I have a serious problem with anger. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said if we're angry, we're guilty of murder. And I wonder what Jesus would say about my Twitter feed. I wonder what Jesus would say about my social media feed. I've never before experienced so much vitriolness and anger as I, as I experienced going through COVID with a church. And I'm sure that this church had it too, the, the way that people would talk to one another online over petty stuff that didn't matter, like a mask, like vaccinations, I just, I can't understand how we get so fragile in our society as Christians to let something like politics divide us. But we sit here and we type these messages on a screen and we forget the fact that there is another person on the other side of that screen, there's another person on the receiving end of that message who's made in the image of God by our own account and God knows our heart. The way that it looks, the way some of us write, the way some of us speak, we are guilty of murdering that individual in our hearts. It's autonomy that leads to anger. It's autonomy, the alone, the self-focus that sends a pregnant mother into the abortion clinic, listening to the lies of our times, better to be alone Better to not be tied down. Better to pursue life on your terms. It's your body, it's your choice, uh, your choice. It's your body, it's your choice. An abortion. The murder of an innocent life inside the womb is an assault on the image of God. It's not just an assault on the unborn babies, it's an assault on the mother as well. How often we neglect that. It's murder, it's an assault on the image of God. Autonomy is also one thing that drives individuals to suicide. And I'm speaking to you as a victim of suicide. My granddad committed suicide. Suicide is an assault on the image of God. Suicide or self-murder will have you believe the lie that things will be better off if you're gone. And that's not what God says. You don't have to be angry. If you're here this morning and you're pregnant and you're considering abortion, if you're in a dark place and you're considering suicide, listen. You are made in the image of God, and that means that He loves you, and that means that He will never leave you. You are created, listen clearly, you are created as His treasured possession. That baby is not a burden, that baby is a blessing. The trial that you're going through, it's not going to last forever. There is hope for you. You're vulnerable. I get that. But your vulnerability only means that you're human. Beautifully broken. More flawed than you think. But more love than you could ever imagine. God is going to help you through it. But listen, it's not just God that's going to help you through it. We're going to help you through it. This side of the church will help you through it. This side of the church will help you through it. I'll help you through it. We will together stand because we are interdependent upon each other. No man is an island to himself. We will help you through it. Don't listen to the enemy who wants to assault you. Listen to the Lord who loves you with a never-ending love, an everlasting love you see this morning i want to convince you of this made in the image of god you know what else it means it means that not only are you created for communion with god not only are you loved by god intimately but also you're created you are created to fulfill a purpose a grand purpose it's a purpose suitable for god himself for those of you who know me, you know that I, I really like Apple products. I mean, I could really go on the road and sell Apple. You know, i got to, excuse me, I'm not revealing my whole self here. i got the Apple Watch. Everything's Apple, Apple, Apple. Come to my house, you'll see an Apple TV. See, I don't even know where to put this thing. you got an Apple TV, you got an Apple computer, all this stuff. Well, at Apple, when employees are hired, and no, I was never an employee, so I don't know. But anyway, at Apple, when employees are hired, they receive a little note of welcome. And here's what it reads. You Ready? I'm so glad we got a lot of Windows people in the room. All right, I understand. There's forgiveness for you too. Here's what it reads. There's work and there's your life's work. The kind of work that has your fingerprints all over it. The kind of work that you'd never compromise on, that you'd sacrifice a weekend for. You can do that kind of work at Apple. People don't come here to play it safe. They come here to swim in the deep end. They want their work to add up to something, something big, something that couldn't happen anywhere else. Welcome to Apple. And let me just say, if a computer company In Silicon Valley, California, can have that as a mission statement. Can you just imagine how it applies to the church of the living God? You have something to do here. There is a mission that God has called you, that He has put His Spirit inside of you to develop. Part of our job as ministers here, my job every Sunday is try to preach myself out of a job because I want to equip you to do the ministry. That's what Ephesians four says. That's, that's my purpose in the church, is to not do ministry for you, but to equip you to do ministry. But and the, the reason why I say that, the reason we have that approach is because of the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and there's something that God wants to do with your life. You have, you have something special that God has saved you for, set you apart for. And this is really the the benefit of what I think of of being your pastor and, and God uniting our hearts together. I can't wait to see what He does in and through you. I can't wait to see how He raises up leaders to go here and there and yonder, places that we've never even thought about going before because we believe that we are made in the image of God. We believe that humanity is made in the image of God, and we believe that the whole world should know that they have a grand purpose to fulfill and a God that loves them. We get to do that together because, see, look back, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. God created humanity to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, to cultivate and to be creative. And here again, we highlight our dependency. We can only be fruitful. We can only multiply. We can only be creative and cultivate if we're dependent upon God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says this. Here's the word of dependence. You ready? For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. How much is nothing? Not a thing, right? Not a thing. I love what the evangelical dictionary of theology says about fruitfulness. Listen to what it says. Fruitfulness does not depend on superior intellect. Praise the Lord impressive power, good so far, or charismatic personality. Some days I'm rather dull, I'm glad. All of those things, the superior intellect, the impressive power, the charismatic personality, you put that, that's the trifecta of what our world desires. Fruitfulness doesn't depend on these things. Rather, it's the result of abiding in Christ and submitting to both the gardener's pruning, and being grafted intimately together with all God's people into the vine of Christ." Dependency and inner dependency. You see, here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. You are probably this morning further along than you even realize. You're probably, I know that you probably have this negative view some days about yourself. Maybe you look in the mirror and you think, my goodness, whatever the case may be, you're probably further along than you realize. You say, you don't know the mistakes that I've made. I don't have to know the mistakes that you've made. I know the Savior who saves. You are further along than you realize. But the enemy keeps barking in your ear and it keeps all these, the good thing that the God says traits trying to be uh, crowded out. And remember, remember what Jesus said when he called the disciples. Do you remember? The attention's in the details. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not come to me because of what you will be. Not come to me because of what you can do. Come to me for what i will do through you depend interdependency you and i are created in god's image and that means that we can find our satisfaction nowhere else other than him Augustine, he confessed this way, God has made us for Himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. How many restless hearts do you know? Why are they restless? They're restless because they've forgotten creation. They've forgotten dependency and interdependency. They are misled about what brings joy. And they're chasing joy, pursuing satisfaction, spinning the wheels, motion, 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 but getting nowhere because they're misled even from the beginning. I love what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. It says this, question, what is the chief end of humanity? Answer, Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him forever. Or perhaps to put it more pointedly, the Heidelberg Catechism says this, and this is probably my favorite, what is your only comfort in life and death? Are you ready for the answer? That I am not my own, Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. You see what's at the source? It's not you, it's Him through you. It's all about Jesus. You know why we're not closer to God than we wanna be? because we are forgetting the fact that it's all about Him. It's not about me. You see, this beloved Jesus has come. The image of God has come. And He's come to a murderous world to seize our hearts, to shape our hearts, to refashion us as He redeems us. And His whole life, His whole life, as the image of God, diffuses anger. He teaches us to be kind, to forgive, to put up with each other, to love our enemy, even when we think that the greatest enemy that we have is ourselves. But Jesus comes not only to diffuse anger, but he comes to extinguish anger. Jesus comes to snuff out the hot coals of anger burning in the heart of humanity by showing us the image of God. He shows us the image, by His sacrificial love. Philippians says, He did not regard equality a thing to be exploited. Colossians says, He made peace by the blood of His cross. And then it says that He has reconciled us, ending the anger, ending the hostility in His body of flesh by His death death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning you are created for more than murder you are created to live with God forever and so is that person next to you and them and the ones here and the ones there, and these up here, and you, and you, but you know who else? Those that aren't even in the room, those out there. And they need to know it, that they're created and loved, and redemption is available for all who by faith come to this Jesus, live before each other in love, love each other, extend that love to others, you shall not murder. Father, thank You for Your Word. We're reminded as we read it that we are guilty, Lord. we're also reminded because of the cross that even though we're guilty, you came seeking and saving lost ones to give us pardon and forgiveness. Father, for those within the sound of my voice who try to live their life apart from you, they have listened to the lies of autonomy, would you whisper in their ear Remind them that they are flawed, but don't let that flaw keep them from coming because you can redeem. And the reason you redeem is because you love. And Father, let us all say together, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for Jesus who loves me. In his name that we pray. In him we hope. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, senior pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.